0: Season five of the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In this season we are exploring relational spirituality. It's rooted in the drawing near and withdrawing of God. And it's really and we're really presenting it as an alternative to devotional, formative, and introspective spiritualities. In the challenging world of spirituality, you you're, you're dealing with people in their inner experience. People don't ex- have experience in a vacuum. We we relate to things. We relate to people. We relate to ourselves. We relate to God. But what it means to relate, I feel, varies. And um, and I guess what I'm what I'm wanting to grapple with and and just to chew through, is the question: is how to distinguish the idea of of, of having a personal relationship with God, meaning. A relationship that is personal to you, but to get into the nuance of the who or the what is it that you're relating to. And I feel like like, like when we're getting into that, we, we're getting into people's, you know, the inner experience and that's quite challenging. But I feel like there's some language for us to differ between what are we relating to. Are we just dealing with intra experience, as in the person is essentially relating to themselves and ideas that they have within them. Or ideas that they bring within themselves and to what degree is it inter- interrelational experience in the sense of, of not just the self in relation to the self but a person in relation to other persons, a person in relation to ideas, institutions, objects, etc. And ultimately really the person in relation to God as well who becomes present to them. There's a meaningful difference between the two but it's hard to grapple with. The reason why I think this is very important is because the idea of God is often tied to mystery, that God is mystery and God is ultimately mystery. And so what, we, what we're often grappling with is, is the mystery of God in the experience of life, or the mystery of God in the experience of church, or the mystery of God in our experience of text, or the mystery of God <laughs> you know, in experience to what plan does God have for my life, et cetera, et cetera. And so there we're dealing with mystery, and mystery is really... About speculation, about it's a it's a question. It's a question of what do we make of it? Like you know, it's a question of faith. Do we believe that God is there? Don't we believe that God is there? Um, how do we know? Well, it's a mystery. So we don't really know. We grapple with it. And I think that idea of of mystery becomes the substance of a lot of our spirituality. With relational spirituality, I think we we're looking to the presence of God, God drawing near in person, and God withdrawing, and we're putting that on the table that there's a human not just a human relationship with themselves or a human relationship within themselves the idea of god but there's a relation to god as a person who draws near and actually speaks and engages people and i think that there's there's fundamentally a difference between spirituality as tied to mystery and spirituality as tied to relationship in that sense so that's that that's just my brief stab at a start <laughs> uh, just to just to throw it out there
1: that's a good start Part of me thinks that I I already just want to start asking you questions and drilling into what you're setting out. Part of me just wants to start commenting all over the show. I think my gut is rather to actually just start with what you're putting out there and just clarify. No, clarify. Yeah, I I, I want to tease out some of what you're talking about there, because as you say, that's a summary sort of starting position. And I think it would be very helpful to just to drill into a couple of the points that you're making there as, as a foundation. And then we can start to explore a bit further. How does that, does that sound good?
0: That's a great idea. sounds really good to me.
1: So you're talking about two things, two processes, an intra-relating and an inter-relating. And in my mind, I hear the two processes, and I almost also hear three categories at play there. You talk about intra-relating, um, self-to-self, but that is also, you speak of the self to the self's held, I guess, sense making views, paradigms, lenses, et cetera, with which they see the world, right? Then you talk about the interrelational, which is the self relating to the other, uh, and either lowercase o or capital. But in the, the first category of other in the lower case, you, you introduce persons and also institutions. And I feel like that might be and ideas, yes, that might be a second point at which we could stop off. And then you go a step further, as I would then talk about, you know, the divine other, the, the capital o other, as person to person relating. And I think it's just maybe helpful to to just drill into those two points with potentially three categories. And so you could tell me, you know, do you see those three categories as well, and how they relate to the two, and perhaps just speak a little bit more on the intra and the inter, and and touch on what I see you setting out inter as being relating with other persons but also ideas systems institutions etc and inter as relating to to you know the divine other if that's clear enough and i'll jump in and ask other questions and comment and you know as we go but you're making the opening statement let's dig into what you're saying
0: short answer yes i really like that (laughs) (laughs) cool i I think definitely those uh, those two the the divide between the the intro and the enter and then, mm. and then, as you say, the three categories, the individual in relation to self, the individual in relation to other lowercase O, individual in relation to the other you know, uppercase O, as in the divine. Mm. So, so I'm 100% on board. I think that really clarifies it really nicely. Um,
1: so comment then a little bit more for me around, tell me a bit more about how you see the intra, like let's distinguish that and, and what's happening there. And I don't know whether you'd want to just sort of contradistinguish. So have the intra against the inter to interplay them, or whether you just like to stop on one and then on the other. But let's talk a little bit more about what are you seeing at play? What is this intra relating when we use the language of self to self? What's happening there? How is that distinct and different from the inter? and I also think it would be helpful of a bit of a longer trajectory, like we'll get there, I'll just put that on pause, but that we arrive at what the mixture of intra and inter is as they sort of interplay with each other and, and what does that mean. Um, but I'm just putting that out as a flag for listeners to sort of to, to, to take aim at as we go. So, and then hopefully I'll remember to bring it up again in half an hour so we get there. <laughs> Apologies to the listeners in advance just in case.
0: Yeah, this is this is totally not scripted. This is conversational. Yes, the largest or the biggest difference between the two for me is that mystery is inherently impersonal and passive. A person might hold themselves passive, but they're 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 foundationally interactive. They've got volition. They've got will. They've got purpose. They act. So, so mystery mystery waits for us to make something of it. When God draws near, God steps forward to speak and act. And so there's a fu- fundamental difference between the two. I think largely when we're dealing with spirituality, we are we're wrestling with people that are almost born and raised in faith and or religion around them. You know. And so there's the idea that God is there and that God is a mystery that is somehow to some degree clarified in religion. And to some degree, religion gets in the way. I think that's just the general thing in society. And then within Christianity, there's the there's the clear idea that the institutions, the texts, the scriptures, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they actually present us with a clear image of who this God is. But I think that that intra and inter um, relational experience is really important here because when I'm accessing a text or I'm I'm going to listen to someone. Preach a message per se, you, you know. For instance, the idea is 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 that we experience God in that, but there we look into the box and we go, it's the mystery of God. God is somehow present in that, but it's not obvious and it's not clear because God isn't stepping forward in a clear way in that. So mystery waits for us, and and I think that's where the the in, intra relational is 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 very important becomes primary, and I think it becomes the primary category in all of in predominantly in all of our spirituality. And so so stop me at any point yet, but <laughs> as as I see it, when when we're looking at the mystery of God in and through any of the ecclesial or liturgical structures, whether I, you know someone is taking communion or participating in worship or listening to a sermon or experiencing the community, etc., etc., the idea is that God is somehow present in that, and some people have faith and they see God in that, and other people, well, they don't have faith and they don't see God in it, right? And then it's mm. hit and miss. But... The individual is relating in an activity, or participating, or reading a text, or engaging in an activity that God has hidden in mystery, right, Mm. but all the work takes place in them. They're filling in both sides of the conversation. They're looking at the mystery of the presence of God and they're going, "Where, where is it? And the meaning making actually depends on them, depends on them putting the puzzle together and seeing the pieces as though there is God or as though there isn't. And so two people working with the same you know, pile of um, puzzle pieces might not end up with the same picture at the end of the day. Or the picture might change depending on the mood they're in or where they're at. And so I think intra-relational stuff is, is really the person grappling with the idea that they internalize you know so they go to church they read the bible they read you know spiritual people um etc etc and they end up with an idea of god and then they grapple with that they grapple with the question of how is this god present and active in my life today how how has this god been present and active perhaps been in the life of other people you know in history before Mm -hmm. me or in the life of people you know that i know today but in that sense it's it's a mystery in the sense that it comes from within i have to think about it I have to puzzle through it, and then I have to come up with an answer as to how I see God being present in those. And I think that's very different to the interrelational. And I see we, mm. I, you know, and so the interrelational is is key for many of the spiritual grades that we hold to. It's very key within Scripture. It's very key during all the renewals. But it actually it comes and goes because it is tied to God drawing near and speak to speak and act. And so the inter interrelational in that sense is between the human being and God is incredibly important. We hold it in high esteem. We just don't seem to expect that it's a normative thing for us today. We seem to expect that um, if people have an experience of God, it's not something that they can replicate. It's not something they can control. It's not something that they can expect any kind of consistency in. You know, um, you know, some people use the phrase like "mountaintop experiences" only happen once in a lifestyle lifetime. You know, et cetera, et cetera, mm. et cetera. That these things is is not to be expected. So I think I think for me that's a bit of my my starting points that whether I'm relating to an institution that's got an idea of God, you know, say I go to an evangelical church or a Catholic church or an Anglican church, the idea of God differs between them. But I work out what God means by being immersed in that culture, in that context. It's not, Mm. and the question is, is God really showing me or is, or am I being schooled by the institution that I'm in to see God in a particular way, have a particular idea of God. And irrespective of that, I internalize that idea. And so my intra-relational experience is with myself and with the idea of God that I've come to carry within me. And I think Mm -hmm. that differs, the idea that, well, if God, you know, God is is a volitional being who steps in whether it's into my subconscious or into a public event or in, in some kind of known way, there's a you know, revelation revelations about self-disclosure. It becomes obvious to me that God becomes present when God becomes present, you know, the royal me. And in that sense, you're dealing with a person. And in the in, in that category as well, it becomes interrelational in the sense that that God is drawing near to speak and act and engage and do stuff. And so I can interact with that divine person, that divine other who can speak to me who can speak to others you know who can act in and through me and transform or heal or any of those kind of things and do the same to other people as well and that's a different kind of spirituality well uh it mm-hmm. is and mm-hmm. it can be uh, i just don't think we've got the language for it yet which is why i think we're we're carving this out yeah, and trying to find that language and, and establish it
1: yeah, see, I'm at a loss for words here, but partly because I'm trying to figure out which of the 43 angles I feel like needs to be taken up <laughs> <out laughs> to come in here, because it's it's quite, as I see it, it's quite compli- complicated, it's quite complex. And I'm partly also just aware of, you know, it's it's searching for language. So this is why I feel it's so important to spend time here, because even as I listen to you, and obviously, I'm not listening to this fresh. We we talk about this all the time as we are bashing back and forth these ideas and this thinking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, yes, even that statement feels like I want to qualify it, but so I'll get there. I think it is quite easy to oversimplify this and go, you know, someone can listen and go, yeah, but I mean, you know, we've been saying that all along. Yes, no, that that's exactly it. Your God is. God is God, and, and, and we interact with God. And, you know, some people can tell you who God is, but only God can tell you who God is. But, but that's, it's too simple. And, and this is a lot of the nuance of what I think we are, we're trying to really put our finger on here. And that's why I think it's important to just drill down into into what you're putting forward here, and tease out as succinctly, and as unavoidably as possible, what, what we're trying to say. So if I pick up on, I'll try and have a stab at this, if I try and pick up on some of what you're saying, and just respond to that, and some of this will be response, and, and I guess I'll, I'll just, I'll be mixing in some of my own spice as I respond, possibly as well, just inserting one or two um, thoughts that are not truly just responding to what you've just said. Oh, man, it gets difficult very quickly. So what I find helpful is if I think in human terms, if I just start there and, and, and you kind of have to give that a bit of legwork before you can critique it. Because I, I think that's the most easiest way for me, at least to understand relating and relationship and rela- yeah, relations. Is, is just human to human because it's, it's, I mean, it's incredibly complex on its own as well, but at least, you know, you and I could sit in the same room and we could see each other and we could, the, you know, I am physically present to the fact that there's more than just me in the room. Right. And so if we talk about interrelating, you sit in a chair, I sit in a chair, and if I speak with you and you speak with me, we relate, you know, to, towards each other back and forth, etc. But I can also relate in an interrelational way to you, in that last week, you can have said something, and I allow it to fester, and it grows, and and it becomes something that is not necessarily anchored in the reality of there are two physical persons, that then pick up conversation again. And so I can both be relating with the Tim who is there, but I can also have built a Tim inside of me in a certain way that is not anchored in the reality of who you actually are and I can start to speak to that Tim and I think when people are very good and very authentic and very honest in their relating you pick those things up quite quickly I think maybe quickly is not the right word but it comes through relatively clearly in terms of oh yeah we're, we're not actually we're not connecting here this is this is not right but also, you know, sometimes you can just see people talk about, you know, we speak at cross purposes and we miss each other, et cetera. It's because we're not necessarily connecting with the other who's actually there. It's, it's some sort of, to an extent, it's a figment of our imagination. It's a manu- it's an internal manufacturing.
0: Yeah. It's almost like um, we're relating to the story of the person rather than relating to them when they're there. And we might relate to them through the filter of our story.
1: Yes. Yes. And and that's partly what I hear you trying to tease out in terms of of if I say something to you that is not rooted authentically in you, your voice would both physically, you know, I would I would hear you verbalize things, but but there's more than just kind of the physics of what's going on there, you know, and the, the wind passes through your you know up through your esophagus and through your your uh, um, your voice box and etc. And the sound waves come out and hit my eardrum. and you know, I make sense of that, etc, etc. It's more than just the actual physics of that. You verbalize who you are, you reveal yourself to me, there's there's something and that's, that's why I love sacred language sometimes, because it lends depth to something that is otherwise quite biological, but, but there is an inner you that that is brought forward and shown to me. Know and and (laughs) not in the cannibalistic sense of oh look here, my brains. Because you know, if I chop your head open, it's very difficult to be able to just kind of go, oh, oh, that little bit is Tim, and oh, that little bit is Tim, and whatever. So there is a to some extent, and this is what you know, science and psychology and all sorts of wonderful, wonderful disciplines are trying really to make sense of is this this person, which is this interior world, this 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 being comes forward in a in an incredibly base, crude biological way, but also in a, a very sensitive, emotional, rational, and I would say, you know, spiritual, etc, sort of way. And then there's a revelation. And so if I speak to that, and I say, oh, Tim, you're so mean spirited, because of something I've picked up somehow, and I'm not going to explore that. It's a tasty tangent, but let's just go with that. Um, somehow I pick that up, and I give that to you, you would be able to go, no, that's not me. I am actually. And that's what we mean, and that's what I pick up from you when you talk about your agency, the, the person has a will that, you know, who you are is not tied to who I think you are necessarily because there's a freedom in your agency to be able to contradict, to be able to clarify, refine, um, produce something new, to take me to a deeper level of who you are right? And, and that's some of the, the inter. And already we can see how it mixes up with the intra. Now, when it comes to God, we're talking about a more difficult process in that I don't necessarily sit in a room and, you know, like Uncle God walks in and sits in a chair and I do. And, and we do that in the same biological necessarily fashion that the human-to-human self-to-other happens. And so that's where we have language about God living inside us and God is all around and, and God's voice is here and there and everywhere else. And I think partly it's this difficulty, which is why it's just so easy to collapse things into God would speak from a text or speak through another human being or speak through a sunrise or et cetera, et cetera. But we're trying to say that, yes, tick, 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 And there is a way in which, as we would understand it to a certain extent somehow, and and you see, this is why I think, and and understandably the language tends towards mysteries. How how does one explain that? But but God also interacts in some way similar to that human-to-human interaction in that there is a distinction between the self and the other. And those two agents interact with each other and to be aware of the intra in which i may be owning a sense of who god may be or who i've been taught or bad experience or good experience or whatever else it might be that i've potentially i fixate on or i am somewhat myopic and it's only one point that i'm willing to dwell on or whatever it is If I were to take seriously the idea of personhood, it would be that my intra mechanisms cannot control the potential inter mechanisms. In that, my story, my internalized story of God—you know—if we use that language of the story—is is is still it is still possible that that is brought. Yeah, that that is that is offered in some way in the interaction between the distinction between myself and and God's self, which is person. And this is where these three categories interest me so deeply because you do have the internal sort of and and that I think even, you know, we might not even be able to get to the depths of that tonight. There's this very important language either to use or to discover around what is it that are the lenses that are a personal intra. Um, you know, happening within an individual. And then that second category, what are the lenses, frameworks, et cetera, that are somewhat more sort of group oriented? They're around sort of, you know, institutions and systems and, and gatherings of, of, of people and, and sort of, you know, because there's a, there's, there's a lot of similarity, but I think there is some distinction there in terms of, of my story about what God is and what other people are continually trying to say in the institutions about the story of what God is. And the third category and and see, this again is where you know the, the language of mystery is quite uh, seductive because it's a it's a hard thing to say. Oh, God is not this personal story, nor this institution story. God is an entity and God's self, and will speak for God and act for God's self in a way that would you know so deliver a similar interaction on the human to human level that we were talking about, which is clarify, contradict expand reveal further take more steps etc etc but there's a lot of just i find that there's a lot of 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 somewhat woolly thinking somewhat lack of language some of lazy thinking and just and just uh, potentially fear and there's all sorts of other things at play around being able to go yeah but you know but, but yeah, very, very even I reach for a phrase and I come like, oh, let God, let God be God. But I realize, you know, it's such a simple phrase, but I've most often heard that out of category two, <laughs> which means let God be the God of the, the institutional story, or let God be God of the this group's, you know, uh, reading of a text, or this group's history or culture or, or whatever it might be. Which I'm not necessarily kicking against so much as just going. I'd want to know which category it belongs in, and that that God's voice, if I can now use uh, uh, just something else now to throw in, and I'll try and wrap up here and then kind of throw it back to you, is God's voice may sound very different across those categories: my internal idea, the institutional, the other people, etc., and the actual. I'll use that phrase very carefully, the actual voice of God, we might suddenly go, wow, that's very different to what I expected or what I've been taught or, you know, and, and it's to tease that out in such a way that I I guess I would hope that some of the language of category one and two no longer muddies the, 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 the reality and the language and the descriptors being used in category three. And even here, I feel like this is just getting too intricate and, technical too quickly, but my own story of God and whatever God's voice might sound like in the story that I would tell, and so essentially what I'm saying is there is that it is my voice that speaks as the voice of God. It may not be voice, God's voice. There might be echoes. So even again, I'm tempted to run off in a thousand directions. Same thing with the institution and the others who speak on God's behalf. It, it may be there, it may not be. It's, it's almost, I think, I, I went to a concert last night. So for some, you know, just the choir analogy just lump, jumps to mind of, of a number of voices coming together to sing a, a similar song message that they're different. And so perhaps as I tell the story of God, where that resonates with God's voice, we sing in harmony in the same with institutions, potentially, or others who would speak. And I might say, wow, God really spoke to me through that person. But the third category is that, that, how could I put it? I don't know. God doesn't need my story, my voice. God doesn't need the institution's voice and story or another human being's voice and story because God, you know, in and of God's self is there as person and is free to speak and act. And is is not limited to, to speaking through, through, you know, the the self to self, the intra and the inter, which is, in some ways, echoes the intro within that second category. And, and you know, see, there I'm even there. I feel as though I'm trying to clarify—not clarify. I'm trying to respond to what you're saying. And it's, some of it's like, you know, am I hearing you well? And some of it's to add something else. And I feel like I've just made it even—I've I've made it less easy to follow by the end of that. But I think that for me is just the great challenge here. Is like, what is this language? How, how do we describe this? And how do we? Are we able to stick to those categories and really work those things through? So, if you can make anything of that, um, but it, it's just some of us are thinking as as you were speaking.
0: I think to start, it's, it's it's a good illustration of why this gets so complex so quickly, and also <laughs> why. <laughs>
1: That's very <laughs> and, generous. Yes, good. <laughs> and also
0: why why it is so easily avoided because the minute we. Divide by mystery or multiply by mystery, we kind of end up with uh, well, God is whatever you've experienced. You make it up to be, and by extension, God is what a particular or any or all religions or none have made it to be. Because it's just mystery at the end of the day. So who who really knows? Who can really say? And I think at the at the heart of what we what what we're looking at is the um, is the notion that God is a is a distinct personal self-revealing person who can be known but also who wants to be known and that's what we're putting on the table Uh, or at least like like really establishing and looking at and i think Mm -hmm. that there's a there's a remarkable difference between spiritualities of mystery that go i don't really need to get to know the person behind all of this as long as my spirituality or my character or my behavior or my projects in life are reflective of what i understand god to be you know, so providing and by that's projection.
1: the intro, right?
0: And that would be intro. Yeah. That's the intro. Yeah. That's the yeah, intro. yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, and so, in both categ- in in all three categories, you're going to have the intro because you don't need yes. institutions to to make up an idea and, and wrestle with mystery and come up with your own thinking about it. You you know, so you can have your own completely privatized idea that you're working with. You can have an idea that you're wrestling with an institution with, and you you're basically making making sense of. And one can live out of that. And so, and so, this introduction of the of the relational really comes in into the picture that for a lot of people, for most of their life and their spirituality and their faith, they're perfectly happy within that. They feel like they're hearing from God enough. They feel like they're growing enough. They feel like they're being nurtured enough. Um, they feel like worship's working for them enough, etc. etc. Until it no longer is. And then at that point they go, hmm, hang on, I haven't actually been experiencing God as directly as I feel like I'd like to, or as I feel like, like when I read these other texts, or I read the lives of the spiritual greats, you know, et cetera, et cetera. When, when I look at them, I see that they encountered God in, a, in in a very direct way. And when we evaluate, we go, am I experiencing that? And then that opens up questions of going, so what does it mean? To experience god directly and immediately as opposed to through conversation through the mystery of life through religion through text etc etc so so i think that's where that, that's, yeah. that's a difference. the difference like the the difference is moving from a mediated experience of, uh, of god to an immediate experience of god to to relating to god as 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 the god of you know Abraham, Isaac, David, you know Jesus, mm-hmm. Paul, you know etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like I'm I'm relating to the God of, and when I read their text or you know I read an Aquinas or I read a Teresa of the Villa or whoever you know I'm reading I'm reading them I'm I'm accessing the mystery of God. They had a particularly unique relationship with God. You know each of them did, and and I kind of have a story about that that basically goes. You know, particularly spiritual people, particularly called people, they get experience God like that, but I don't. And I mm. think what, at some point when one wakes up to it and goes, hmm, hang on, I also want those experiences, then there's a lot of other questions that come in uh, around the potential.
1: Can I pause you there? I, I, I just, I just want to be able to just spend a little bit of time on what I hear you talking about here before we move on to, uh, let me be clearer. So... Very, very, very roughly, I hear you talking about kind of two groups of people, one of which are are coming up very actively in the conversation, which are people who go, this is no longer working for me, forward facing. What does this mean? What does this can potentially look like? But you also dropped something a little bit previous to that, which, which has also been on my mind very much, and I think bears a little bit of spending time on. Uh, I'll give you this question. You can tell me if you think it's worth spending time on this. This idea of the avoidance, because that's the second group of people, because in a lot of my experience, that crucial moment, that kind of what Richard Raw talks about, the liminal space, that real like at, at the edge of adventure, there's a potential for something new. Very, very broadly, and forgive the the, the gross generalization, there are, Many people who turn back and double down on the story and go, and, and we've said this before, and I think it's just that's why it just it attracts me to spend a little bit of time and not necessarily answering why that is, but to look at because, because this this is offered to me, to my mind, this is a legitimate, this is the offering of a legitimate antidote to wanting more. Is it okay, just. Maybe you haven't heard the right song yet, or maybe you haven't served in the right ministry yet, or maybe you haven't found the right church yet, or maybe you haven't read the right books yet, or maybe you haven't read. And you, there's, there's so many categories that you can fill in there. But if I'm hearing you well, I agree with you. That is a, that is avoidant behavior. I think
0: mm. that
1: ignores the, the beckoning on. That for me, that's, and I, and I just. I don't know, it sounds like I'm like super anti-textual, but I can only think in textual examples now. Like there's the rabbi on the beach saying, come follow me, follow me. And the people go, no, just, I'm gonna head back and just do more of this, just do more of this, just do more of this. And that for me is quite fascinating because that energy, I think that returning energy, that, that feeds a lot of that intra in the first category, the self. And in the the intro within the inter of category two that needs some more teasing out as well of of others and institutions that feeds that energy. It's like like a loop that tries to bring that energy back in, in a way of, of, it's a sustenance idea. Like if we could just keep sewing this back in, it's eventually going to give us what we need. And I think we're trying to suggest, no, that is the point at which you can celebrate and go, you know, like Nietzsche, kind of it's like that God is dead. Great. Like, let's celebrate the death of God. And and let's look for kind of, let's look into category three. But like any thoughts on, it's horrendously sketched out as a question. Like the 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 avoidance stuff, you know, um, and and I don't know if if it's worth stopping here now or whether we should come back to it at some point. What well, do you think?
0: Um, I, I think it's worth it's worth going into. I, I think the the ease the, the the easiest response that I have there is 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 I remember years ago being so frustrated trying to trying to develop a relational spirituality, trying to cultivate it like a trying to nurture a culture of it in small groups that I ran and with people that I'd met and, and and was working with and I eventually got to the point where I said you know if I took 20 people that were Christian for 20 years and I put them in a room <laughs> room together and 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 I spoke about how God speaks and acts in a very immediate sense those 20 Christians would basically go no thank you we don't need this because we've never had it and and God's speaking to us through the Bible by going to church by faithfully serving in projects, you know, by in private devotions, you know, that's good enough for us. We're we're game. We're we're sorted with that. No no problem. We don't need this experience of God, this immediacy at all. Our faith is sufficient, and I think that is that is a category, and there are a lot of people there. And I want to be very careful to go, like, if people are in that category, this is probably not the conversation for you. <laughs> and the <clears> reason why I want to say that is, is, is I can't help but say things that are going to offend people that are in that box, you know, that, that are thinking <clears> that way. If people are, are avoidant of that, it's, it's literally going, you're faith-zoning God. You're basically putting God in the box of going, I can only relate to you through my faith and through the faith that you've given me. I don't trust you to speak to me one-on-one and I don't trust me to hear from you you know and and I think that's what it's coming down to and I think mm. a step beyond that it basically goes god I want to keep you at a distance and I don't really want an intimate direct personal relationship with you because I'm you know I'm you know intimate avoidant in, with in relation to spirituality right so so I think mm. I think that there is there is there is a lot there so the first thing is is I don't I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing or speaking down to those people but at the same time i actually do want to speak critically about that and go i don't think that's good enough for a relationship with god i don't think it's it, it it's satisfying enough as a relationship for god to have that relationship with people because it's basically god it's, going, hang
1: on be very very clear you're saying you don't think that is satisfying enough for god
0: for god yeah yeah and okay
1: does god get what god wants to put rob bell's language in there is that what you're saying Yes, very much. So. Great, very thanks much so. for pausing. Yeah, I'll carry on.
0: In the setting, in the second category, like years ago, I also found that if you put twenty people in a room <laughs> that hadn't experienced God, and you speak to them about experiencing God, how God speaks to dreams, how God draws near in person, how God heals the sick, etc., etc., and then you go, "Who's up for this?" Chances are, those people that haven't been Christian, that don't have faith, telling them what to believe about God, they'd go hell yeah let's experience that we're open to that sure let's invite god to come let's see what god wants to do we're open we're open to mystery becoming present to us as opposed to we've got a clear understanding of mystery and mystery doesn't have to touch us in the room right Um, and i think that there's a there's a big difference between that because in the one category of people you've got people that go i have a very clear idea of the god that i believe in don't upset me by having that god drawn here because you're not that might that might disagree with my picture of God, <laughs> so I have to reject that out of hand. And the other category is people going, "Yo, yeah, God is a mystery, and you know what? Mystery is to be explored. Uh, and what greater opportunity is there to explore mystery than mystery is prepared to step forward and engage us? So we're open to that. And I think in that, God less easily responds in one group and more easily in another group. What? Due to rejection <laughs> you know in in mm-hmm. the one group god is basically going i'm welcome yeah so i'm going to step in and i'm going to do stuff and i'm going to speak and the other group is basically god's gone well you know i'm pushed away so why should i step forward you know like there's no need for me to do that like i don't i don't have to deal with that kind of like like rejection you know not to belabor that point too much i think i think genesis is a great is a great text that really makes this m- makes this point i i believe one of the key hermeneutic tools within keys within genesis is actually god drawing near and god withdrawing so right from the start we we've got this myth in history that in the fall humanity separate from god prior to the fall adam and eve enjoyed unlimited unconditional access to god's presence in the naivety that they were in in the garden and yet within that there's the language of god drew near and god withdrew so God would come and meet with them and God would withdraw, is, is the picture that we're given. And they'd respond to God, you know, and then the whole, you know, fruit eating tree thing happens. And uh, and then when God draws near, they hide. And God calls them and God pursues them. And so they get kicked out the garden. Interestingly enough, the first real story that happens after that is is with Cain. <laughs> you know, we mm. actually given the report that the, you know, and and that's through the whole process of of him being angry with his brother, being upset with his brother, getting around to killing his brother. All the way through that, he consistently is portrayed as having this conversation with God about that. And then throughout the rest of Genesis, you've got the, you've again got the language of God drawing near to the tower, you know, the, the Tower of Babel where everyone are gathered mm. together with the sense that they're not actually responding to God. And so God scatters them and, and quote unquote curses them into what God has blessed humanity for, you know, populate the earth, you know, get around. Mm. You know, possibly even the cosmos. You know, and that is contrasted with the individuals who then ret- who turn to God, whether it's an Enoch or a um, Noah or any of those others. You know, you've got the, the, you know, everyone's rejecting God, and there's these few that turn to God. And I think that's a that's mm. a that's a particular key that carries through. Now, now that sense of the presence of God is key throughout the whole of the Old Testament, throughout the whole of the New Testament, throughout any significant work within Christian history. And yet we don't have a dominant spirituality of it, and that's that's really what I'm getting to with this and putting on the table and and questioning. I'm questioning why don't we have a spirituality that's about it? And and for those that are quick to respond and go, "Yeah, I'm from a movement like a charismatic or Pentecostal movement, and we experienced, you know." one of the Great Awakenings, or you know, or even the movement that I've been a part of for a long time, like the Vineyard, you know, they feel that they, or, you know, of course we've got it. Those Charismatic and Pentecostal spiritualities, they're not relational spiritualities because they reduce uh, or they commodify God as 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 the power of the prophetic encounter. There isn't an ongoing depth of intimacy that becomes integral to their spirituality afterwards. There's, there's instead a return to a devotional biblical spirituality or a formative spirituality. Um mm. where we're again, you know, it's about what's happening in my inner life. Okay, well, how can we say God was here? Well, because in my inner life I got something out of the session, you know, the religious session or the religious service. And that's not the same as as the encountering God. And I think I think for um, you know, one of the things I wanna wanna acknowledge is 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 that I I often end up speaking to people who serve in churches, you know, they're they're leaders, they're worship leaders, they're, they're, they're pastors, assistant pastors, et cetera, et cetera. And they hit the point where they go, you know what, I realize I have a desire for intimacy with God, I'm leading churches, but my desire for intimacy with God is not being met, and I don't see people wanting this. And I see that those that are wanting it, this is not being met by doing church or reading the Bible or practicing spirituality. So what do I do about that? And I think it's it's that that really drives this point home for me, that relational spirituality needs to be explored and we've got to get past just the intra relating to an idea of god that i carry whether i form that idea of god in relation to churches or I form that god you know form that idea in relation to reading the bible or i form that god in relation to theological studies etc etc it's an intra-relational experience tied to an idea of god um predominantly you know um if you if you if you look at at what you spend 99% of your time doing in that in that uh, in that environment, any kind of deliberate intentional experience. Is, is a mediated experience the the actual experience of going no 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 God spoke to me in a parking lot you know we've got an example of that on the podcast or I went mm. to an even song service and suddenly God became present to me or you know etc cetera, etc cetera. there's any number of stories I was I was out in the rain and I had this 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 epiphany this opening up mystical experience etc cetera, etc cetera. those experiences mm. however pivotal they are are very few and far between for people I think that the, the difference in, in my thinking, what I'm arguing for, is that I don't think it has to remain that way, because I think it's based on an incorrect reading of Scripture, it's based on an incorrect reading of Christian history, it's based on an incorrect reading of, of, of spirituality and God's desire for us, if that, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, I don't know if that answers your question sufficiently well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it takes us in some new directions. Which, uh, which are important and and I, as as I listen to you speak I wonder whether kind of drilling down into the why what is it that stimulates this avoidant behavior perhaps is less less important now as we put broad brushstrokes to uh, to to that uh, and and that's kind of where I hear you speaking as well there's some broader brush strokes into into the future um, but perhaps just that we log it at this point, that, that there is this, there does seem to be a bit of a, mm. a fork in the road. Mm. And the left fork seems to turn back in a long circle and rejoin its original road. Mm. And that's the invitation to just sort of a holding pattern in a way. Mm. Um, and I, I, th- I think the reason I, I want to put my fig- finger on it is perhaps to help people spot it. You know, like mm. if you start to have language for something, then you can start to see it happening. You can True. start to, True. I think it, it helps with awareness, et cetera, et cetera. We can start to observe ourselves and go, ah, yes, you know, I miss the invitation to the, the, the right fork in the road, which leads onward because I potentially, I, I keep taking the invitation into the holding pattern. Mm. Um, and, and that's where some of the why, but that that's perhaps just more of a detail thing yeah. that we must we must come to in in time and is also perhaps more profitably perhaps teased out with individuals yeah. uh, even though i mean it's yeah. good to put some some broad sort of strokes to that as well
0: I, I i do agree i think i think we'll we'll definitely take some time down the line to put the spotlights on that and just just observe patterns rather than you know critique any particular individual or anything like that but just observe patterns in terms of how people go about avoiding and and we can speculate as to why they and, and i think that's particularly rich terrain because you know yeah. I, I must admit um after being exposed to charismaniacs and uh <laughs> and rentocostals <laughs> 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 uh early in my in, in my christian experience the last thing i wanted to do was be um Party to experiencing God, quote unquote, in that category, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, mm, I, think mm. I think, I think, I think, there's a lot of rich things along those those lines. Where, where mm. I think, I, I guess, I just want to acknowledge from the start that when we're talking about intimacy with God and experiencing God yeah, and a culture of it, we're not talking about that rampant, rampant, hyped, uh, ridiculous behavior stuff, right? <laughs> um, well, yeah, that's trap. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. because that's an important, I think, next step to move on to is if we take the invitation forward. And I've got some questions there to pose to you in terms of what it might or might not look like. But just last comment on the avoidance thing. I, I think it's also important those... I keep coming back to similar sort of statements. Life is exceedingly complex. And so to try... To at least come across to sound as though I'm making it quite simple. It's I'm not. As I speak, you know, I'm I'm privy to my own internal world. So I hear all the caveats falling into place as I speak. It's not that easy <laughs> in, a, in a in a short conversation, which is I think part of the reason why we keep aiming for seasons long stuff. There's space to you know ventilate more and more and more. But you know, there's some avoidant behavior is incredibly important. Uh, you know, some fear-based behaviour just very simply is incredibly important. You know, it's it's one of the reasons we don't all run off and pet bears is sometimes they pet back, and so <laughs> yeah. you know they don't always. Again, it's complex. You know, I caught a clip of a guy the other day who'd who'd been living with grizzlies for what, it was like ten or twelve years or something, and everyone was starting to go, "Wow, this guy's got a gift," and then he suddenly was eaten by one, and it's just like. You know, life, life. Yeah, yeah. life is just that complex. It's not that easy to just go, well, we see the patterns, everyone's life is going to be that pattern. But it, yeah, I'm getting a bit lost here. So some of the the avoidance is important. Some of it's important because repeated avoidance builds, builds a negative energy, which is incredibly important towards towards this kind of tectonic shift for somebody to move to a different space in their life. So a holding pattern is sometimes incredibly important because it allows you to build that you, you accumulate more and more and more experience, which accumulates more and more negative energy. And it's kind of a like when it gets miserable enough, you'll move. You know, again, simple statement. It it encompasses a whole bunch of things. Some of that is, as you you know, you alluded to earlier, it sounds hypocritical, and and it is and so it's not to go absolutely everyone we meet we want to argue into going you you need to move on to relational spirituality at the same time that I'd want to be very clear about what i'm saying and my position it's i think one of the tenets and again we'll, you know we'll come to some of the tenets of relationships as well is is non coercion so it's not well, let me just critique you into getting out of your holding pattern and, you know, where you are is bad and you need to move on to relational spirituality. That is good. Cause it's, again, it's, it's, it's far more complex than that we're breaking new ground. Um, and so even all of that, you know, would be, would be great for us to explore at some point around because otherwise it does, it can sound, and that's not either of our intention, as I understand it, it can sound like we're just taking cheap shots at, Oh well, you know, you just double down and read your Bible. to ha ha! You'll see how that works out for you, you know. And on some of my worst days, absolutely, hundred percent, you got me. Um, but on but on other days, it's a sense of I think invitations are exactly that. It's a it's a it's a potential. It's an offering to do something potentially new and exciting and risky and dangerous and, and all the rest of that sort of stuff. And you know, we will we will we'll get into those as as they come along.
0: I'm with you there in the in the sense that. The what motivates and drives the avoidance is very important, but on the flip side, hmm. what motivates and drives the desire for an intimate relational experience of God, a consistent one, of of immediate encounter,
1: yes. that's equally important. And I think Absolutely.
0: We, don't, we don't don't often look at that enough. And I think one of the reasons why we don't look at it enough is because we don't actually think that it's a possibility. And yes. so, so the avoidance and the negativity filters into the positive and the embrace of it. I think that exploring the the difference of the developmental differences is very important. Because I've, I do feel that in the same way that we have a, a literal relational awakening relating to how we develop in life when we hit teenage years, we similarly have a spiritual awakening that brings us to the desire to experience God more immediately at some points in our life. And that, mm-hmm. that can be through an introduction an experience of God's presence that leaves us with a hunger and a longing for more of it at some point, like an early point in life. And for a lot of people, it just arrives towards the later side of life. You know, you start hitting your mid-30s to your 40s, you've got your kids, you know, you've got your career, uh, and then suddenly the question of relationships and meaning comes to the forefronts and together with that, the question of your relationship with God and the meaningfulness of that relationship and the substance of it also comes to mind. You start looking at it a bit more deeply, going, what is this relationship to me? Is this relationship one of just participating in groups and activities? Is it just about reading a book? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think think there's a desire, there's a shift in the desire to go, no, hang on, I've heard a lot about you, I have an idea about you. But I actually want to engage you more directly and more consistently in person, and I think that the the possibility of that is often opened up for people by hearing about how other people experience God like that. Overall, we've got a very dodgy framework that goes, you know, Steve, you know, to um, you know to rely on experience and chase experience is tremendously immature, right? And, and and you can have a honeymoon phase where it's based on you know like the music and the lights and someone up there making you bow your eyes and blah 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 and yes you had a power you had encounter with God like that and that was great but you know what maturity looks like maturity looks like you move towards faith and you read the Bible and you faithfully attend church and you you no longer need those experiences because that's for the young and the immature and I think we've got that as a predominant myth and I think it's complete bogus (laughs) there's nothing better than old people that are still intimate and fully in love with each other that are still Mm. out having coffee together hold hands in public like speak to each other in the morning and at night you know etc cetera, etc cetera. you know if 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 we take our faith analogy and we apply it to god it's like going oh i had a brief affair with god perhaps in my youth and you know what mm. 40 years down the line we don't speak anymore but you know we've got a solid relationship because we signed up for this deal with each other you know so we can mm. never get and out and i of
1: kept it. a couple of his letters yeah yeah exactly exactly which i reread faithfully mm-hmm.
0: yeah so i think mm. i think i think i'm with you the the, avoidance and the 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 keenness to embrace or the keenness to explore both importance, um, mm,
1: absolutely, and 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 I think just because of the distinction, it interests me. But where we where we really want to push on, and especially I think at this point, is into that invitation, into that what if, mm. into that possibility.
0: I, I like the I like the way you phrase that.
1: <laughs> oh, cool! <laughs> Thanks, because because that is it's oh, it's far too interesting to me. So at some point, it's it, at some level, it's just un, it's, it's unavoidable. All of the, the avoidance stuff is just fascinating. But if we stay on topic <laughs> for this episode slash what we're going to pick up over the next few conversations, it is that. It's to go, all of that's interesting, but we really want to shine the light on this third category and take seriously that it is possible that two agents – Let's just take that the simplest puzzle that we can to start with. The two agents, and now I run out of language. You see, they show up, <laughs> <laughs> they they mutually self reveal, they self disclose, there is a offering, I think, and a sharing of trust. There is a a broaching and a building and an enjoyment i think of connection with each other as two distinct entities and there is promise i think and that word really requires some unpacking there is the promise and the hope i think of continued and increasing moments connection interaction, interactions. And so I'm sort of oscillating between the idea that a relationship forms in that it is a bond between two entities. But the very nature of the relationship on the one hand is that it is there and it exists, but that it somehow also equally and, and paradoxically somewhat at the same time is sustained by, you know, specific interactions. So, you know, I I think of the old lady says to her husband at some point, you never tell me that you love me. Like you hardly ever do that. And He says, Yeah, but the day we got married, I told you that I love you. And if the situation changes, you'll be informed. Now, you know, see, I use the human to human again, just to try and make the point. There is a bond there. There is an agreement. There is a connection there. I assume they live in the same house, et cetera, et cetera. But what it misses in you know, in that little joke is the idea of those specifics of those interactions, the I love you's, the here's your coffee, the how was your day? The You know, what are you battling with? Uh, what are you looking forward to? What's your favorite? What's your least favorite? Blah, blah, blah those moments, those interactions, those exchanges, all both are part of the structure of the bond and continue and they sustain it, they nourish it, et cetera, et cetera. And without that continued, I think the bond, it, it atrophies somewhat, even if there is the, see again, oh goodness, there is the abstract form, there is the, structural something of what that bond is it's it's somewhat emaciated potentially even yeah if it's a living thing it must pass new you know kind of i don't know i'm, I'm thinking of something that lives passes by you know not bodily fluids so much there's, there's an exchange of stuff that was that would flow you know up and down you know but but when something doesn't do that anymore, then we would might say that it's dead. You know, if I look at a dead tree, it's there, but it's not withdrawing nutrients and water from the soil anymore and passing that up and down itself. There is no interaction between it and the ground. There's sort of a stasis there, but you can still look at it and go, oh, look, a tree. It kind of is a tree and it isn't at the same time. And that's kind of what I'm trying to put my hand on. Um, and so that's kind of the invitation that we want to start to look at and go, well, What does that really look like? And and, yeah, I'll kick it back to you now, but one of the questions I want to give to you at some point is, so I get stuck because I want to use a lot of human language here, but some of that sounds very definite when talking about something that at some extent we do have to agree is somewhat mysterious, I think, or is not as readily accessible as two human agents sitting in the same room. And so, how do we speak about that, and how do we understand that in, in in its fullness? And what are we saying? Is it easy to pin down? Is it easier than we've been led to believe? But is still quite, you know, it's still quite a mind fuck, essentially. Uh, you know, it's maybe a better way of talking about mystery. But anyway, there's, so there's a. What do you, yeah, jump well, in. I-
0: I, I, I like I like that because in in that human to human analogy you've got the notion that just because people sign up for a relationship doesn't mean that they sustain it. There are people that mm. sign up for a relationship, they sustain it, they grow it, they nurture it, and um, mm. and that happens, you know, in in various ways. You know, through shared tasks and activities, through mm. time alone with each other, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera, you build that. But in Mm. in another category, you can have a relationship that has died. And so people can still, you know, in in that analogy, be married on paper. But in practice, they're not actually, they're no longer the good friends they were. They're no longer the lovers to each other. They no longer Mm. communicate well, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and so in that sense, I think relational analogies are very good. I think faith becomes pathological when the commitment to the idea of God exceeds the willingness to engage the God that that idea is about. You know, we...
1: Whoa! Say that again. Say that again. <laughs> just pause if you can. Just kind of go through that again.
0: Okay, let me try. It Becomes
1: pathological. <laughs> so,
0: so faith becomes pathological when one is committed to the idea of God to such an extent that that you you don't want to jeopardize that idea, so you avoid relating to God to hold on to that idea. You know, mm. um, I, I think I think mm. it's that. That because we are dealing with a, a person that doesn't have a body that draws near to us and withdraws, we can substitute engaging God for mystery. Now, hmm. that doesn't mean that the God that we engage isn't ultimately mystery, but it's a self-disc God is a self-disclosing mystery. God is a mystery that wants to be known, as opposed to a mystery about whom nothing can be known. And so, so although silence and absence is a key part of our relating to God, it's it's different when the silence and absence is all we have. Because an idea of God is only ever silent and absent, why? Because it's an idea that I have about God. That idea that I have only works as, as, a, as a, when I put my hand in it and use the finger puppet to speak back to me, right? Mm. Then, mm. then within my own internal space, of course, I'm hearing the voice of God, why? Because I'm the one that is animating God, and that yeah. differs to when God becomes, God draws near in person to speak and act, or abide, or to engage, or to be intimate, or simply be around, and you can actually feel th- the difference. There's, you know, in the same way that you feel the difference when someone walks into the room behind you you may be oblivious to it but you will become conscious of it and similarly if you if you think that someone's there and they leave you'll become conscious of that person having left maybe not immediately but at some point when you turn to them and you look for them they'll be gone right whereas 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 the god of faith or the god of mystery is often only ever glimpsed out of the corner of the eye and when we look for god we can't find god that's that's often the category that we think of when it comes to this Whereas if we take scripture seriously, if we take Jesus seriously, if we take the, the idea of the Holy Spirit seriously, <laughs> mm. we're actually given an idea that this God that, that is supposed to be a mystery, this God that is so elusive, is actually not just wanting to be elusive. This God actually wants to be known and wants to step into a deep relationship with us. And the problem that we have is that that's not that's not how our religious institutions are set up. It's not how spiritualities are set up. So even if we take a look at Jesus sending the twelve and the seventy two or the seventy two out to do ministry during his day and age, they were discipled into the presence of God. They had to clearly hear from God like Jesus did to do that work. God had to clearly show up with them to do those things that God was doing with Jesus. And Part of what they said is, look, Jesus is going to come to meet with you afterwards. That's a key part of it. That's a non-negotiable in terms of ministry and discipleship. But we, we, we I, I would say, throw out all the versions of discipleship that we have. They're all character formation. But how many of them actually include any of that presence of God stuff today? Now, when we go to church as well, or you know, we don't have any framework for that kind of stuff either. And so I think that's that one of the big problems that we have is that we have an idea of a relationship with God that is not about a relationship with God. It's about the relationship that we have to our faith, and it's about the relationship that we have to the mystery of God. And that mystery, that silence and absence of God, becomes our only category for going, but of course God is here. And so what happens is we schooled into believing that God is here by faith and by mystery, and I just perhaps don't see God, and that I is the whole congregation, <laughs> right? Mm. That becomes dominant. So we've substituted presence for mystery, and we've made mystery the equivalent of presence, but it's not the same thing.
1: I think, so one of the one of the anchors that continually helps me, and a million caveats, but couple of important ones, I'm aware of the limitations, and I am becoming more and more aware of some of the limitations, etc. But it's still helpful, as a start is to kick back into the human. So I'm in the room with you. And I'm speaking to you. I know you're in the room because I can see. you. And when I speak and specifically ask a question, if you're polite and a good person, you respond. And I can see when you leave. And sometimes I don't see when you leave, but I say, Tim, where's the salt? And I look around and I go, oh, Tim is not here. He can't answer that question. To a certain extent, the mystery box goes, when Tim leaves the room, now I'm not even sure it says that, but let me go with that. When Tim leaves the room, I say, where's the salt? Tim is still present. Mm. And when Tim enters the room, it's the same as if Tim is not there. Now, that's not entirely true because, because even I think at the fundamental level of recognizing Tim entering and exiting is, is oh, goodness me, I'm going to make up a word, I think, personology. <laughs> <laughs> that That is the idea of personhood. It's immaterial whether you're in the room or not. Because I can school myself into the awareness that you are here. And so when I say, where is the salt? I both ask and I will answer the question by going, hmm, I've read some things about Tim. And perhaps even I met Tim some time back. And so Tim's a logical guy. He'll keep the salt probably close to where the cooking is. Mm. And a couple of things can happen there, I can find it immediately above the stove, and I can go, Ah, you see, Tim spoke to me. This Mm. is scenario number one, there is no actual interaction happening, I am thinking through how you might be and I'm filling in the gaps. And then I happen across the salt. And so that confirms it's a bit of a confirmation bias, potentially, around, I see Tim and I are engaging, or I look in cupboard one, and then two, and then three, and then I find the salt. And I go, oh, okay, cool. Tim likes it when, you know, if I keep seeking long enough and eventually I will find Tim slash Tim's salt. Or potentially, I don't know, I don't find the salt. And I go, Tim's a mysterious guy. Who knows whether he likes salt or not? (laughs) But, But the anchor of the human to human, I think, is quite helpful there in what I hear you saying because you can't stand in a room as a human and this is where I like your word "pathological" and go, "Hey Tim, where's the salt?" and fill in the other side of the conversation without going, "Hang on, <laughs> I'm speaking on this person's behalf. This is not, quote unquote, normal." So, so I like I like that
0: analogy as well. Except, um, and the yes, except isn't actually to it. your to to your analogy. Okay. You you open in part with a sense of of there's there's an idea of someone entering or leaving the room mm. Genesis opens with the idea of the God that draws near and withdraws
1: <laughs> yes
0: how do you know that God draws near in church well two or three gathered in my name so there I was
1: <laughs> you yes. may have
0: asked questions I didn't answer them oh why because I answer with a voice of silence and mystery
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> you know and that's the intro right that's that, that's yeah. the that's me owning both sides of the interaction that's what we're saying exactly because I'm saying, how do I know God is here? Because I already have the answer for God. God, you must be here. Because I have, to some extent, you know, this we'd also, we need to dig into some point. I have control over a text, which I can wield to, to fashion the relational mechanism here. Fashion the relational mechanism here. And go, well, you must be here. Because I have a piece of paper that says that you're here. And actually, it doesn't really matter whether you're here or not, because the pe- piece of paper and my intra control f- you know, over this piece of paper and what it says is more important and more powerful than whether your personhood is manifestly present or not. Right? Yeah. What you're yeah, saying?
0: V- very much so, yeah. And so, so I, think, I think one of the foundations to a relational spirituality actually rests on the notion of... Being very clear that if you don't see God, you don't see God, and if you don't hear God, you don't hear God, so you're not yeah. going to go through the effort of filling in the conversation as though God is speaking to you. Why? Because you read a text, or you, you know, um, you know, you're part of a tradition or a church or anything like that. It, it's it's being willing to not substitute something else for the voice of God to to fill that silence with something else on God's behalf. You know, it's like it's like when I'm talking to um, an individual who's upset with someone, and why they're upset, while well, someone did something, and therefore I filled in the meaning of what they were saying. So I'm telling, I'm filling in the blanks. You know, they did something, and I'm interpreting, and I'm saying what they meant by doing what they did. That's that's a, a large part of like counselling and resolving things with people is cutting through that, so that people speak for themselves and they're heard for what they're saying and doing or what's motivating their behavior, if their behavior or the actions are dysfunctional, or broken, or whatever it is, right? But but what we're doing is we're cutting through that. I think one of the problems with the faith box is we never get to do that, you know? So, um, you know, does God speak and act? Well, yes, of course God speaks and act. How? By being silent and not doing anything. <laughs> you know, mm. is largely what we're left with at the end of the day. So I really feel like, The beginning bit to being to to building a relational spirituality starts with a recognition of God's silence and absence and actually dials into that and goes, you know what? I know when I'm not seeing God and I know when I'm not hearing God, and I'm going to own that. And then the next step is going, I need to own all my trust issues, all my blockers in relation to why I want to avoid this. And I need to own all my desire issues and all my healthy needs and wants in terms of why I want this as well. And I'm going to sit with that, and again, my need and my avoidance, whether I invite God to come and I wait on God, and and I sit there with that need or avoidance, I'm again not substituting what God is going to say and do. I'm not making up God's mind for God. You know, I I, I genuinely think that um, God's intention was for Adam and Eve to eat of the tree at some point and uh and if they did and god rocked up and said where are you and they were like cool we're here but we're clothed now because we felt naked and vulnerable (laughs) and afraid and oh Mm. by the way we did the following some of that story would have played out differently because i think it was always god's intention for that to happen you know um uh, and that's a whole other box and a whole other discussion to get into Mm. so Mm. we should we should possibly avoid that yeah but i think i think similarly for us to own that and to step into the invitation, the waiting for God, it gives God the opportunity to arrive. And, you know, maybe I want to avoid God for a particular reason, and God pitches up, and God doesn't care about that. God wants to speak about something else or do something else, right? <laughs> you know, so 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 there, again, that avoidance and all that kind of stuff can be fueled by the idea of God, but my desire can also let me fill in the blanks. I desire God to have been there, so of course God was there. You know, as opposed to I desired God to be there, but I'm disappointed that God wasn't and I wanted God to show up and speak to me. Very different kind of conversation. And so that's where that human analogy is 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 so phenomenal because how do people start doing things together? They meet accidentally, they they're introduced, they, they they start off slowly, you know, they go mm-hmm. out in public, they have a interaction. If they want to spend more time together, they will gradually move towards points of connection, gradually they'll move away from an activity to just be there for each other. And I think that similar progression between people that are interested in each other and have a desire for each other is actually reflecting our experience and our relationship with God. Um, mm. But the problem is that we have got the framework of mystery and silence and absence that makes that substitutes knowing God for the mystery of a God that can't be known and substitutes the voice of God for a silence where God can never actually be heard immediately, where God can only be heard in that intra-relational conversation where we fill in the blanks based on our reading, based on our service, based on what we know, based on what the idea of God is supposed to say, et cetera, et cetera.
1: And so, and so some I, th- I think one of the major points that I'm, I'm just wanting to pull out of that from what I hear you saying is that. Uh, Let me try and do a good job of trying to summarize some of this. That is a massive intentional, potentially, blockage on the road to moving forward. It essentially cuts the legs off the conversation, the you know, the, the direction of this entire thing before starting. That's the need to differentiate the mystery, et cetera, et cetera, from let's say what it is, potentially and separate that from, from how it is being used that, you know, I'm doing a terrible job of that. There's, there's a, the the need to do this is because it limits the forward, the the movement forward immediately because you can't go into, well, what would God say and explore that? If the answer is already, well, God will both not say anything because who knows and who cares? And it's all mysterious. And God will say, Exactly what you want God to say, and that's a bit blunt because I don't think it's even that obvious necessarily always. But you know, God, God will, God will say what God has always said through God's texts or God's church or God's history, you know, or God's pastor or God's prophet or God's church leadership team or whatever else it is, and that immediately stops it. That's like going, well, if I went to my spouse and said, have I hurt you today, that conversation doesn't have to happen because I already know they're going to say no. So as I ask that question, I'll also answer it. And there we go, Then we don't have the conversation because there's no need because I already have the answer to that. Um, yeah, sort of. And, and, and I think that's really important because what we're saying is But we want to have that conversation. We want there to be space for a non-controlling, and this is where it starts to jump into the, what does a relationship look like? We want to jump into that non-controlling space and go, okay, God, so like, if you're really just God, and you can just be God, what the hell might that look like? And, And, you know, and I love how you're talking about, like the chance meeting and the, Oh, you also like that, and I also like this, and oh, there's a bit of a synergy, and there's a bit of a flutter, and there's an interest, and in a, and you know, we could spend some more time together, and and we could even be silent together, or we could do some other things, or we could go off and do our own things and come back together, etc. There's there's something there, and, and and there's I think some some sort of building blocks of what healthy relationship looks like. But you don't get any of that if you agree to the block across the road. It's well, it's a whole mystery, so. We're not even going to take that road. It's, uh, it's immaterial. And we're saying no, it's, it's, in some ways, I think we're saying it is the logical journey to take. It's the necessary. But I think if I can put words in your mouth as well, you can agree or not. There's also, I feel that there is a person on the other side of that potential logjam going come. There's an invitation. It's not an invitation that I throw out. It's not my own voice coming back to me of something down there going, "Follow me, follow me." What? Oh, okay, quite a wonderful echo. There's a different voice that says, "Like you can come and try this." Yeah, and yeah, and there, even there, like there's there's conversations we need to have now around what does that potentially look like? Because I think. Some of the questions I want to put to you of some of the ways in which I hear you speaking and I hear myself speaking, sounds very safe and secure. It sounds almost as though, you know, we're being a little bit like nice and a little sort of humble and whatever. But in three episodes time, we're going to, you know, whip the sheet back off the table and say, see, (laughs) the the three steps too. (laughs) And everything is just as safe as it was with your texts and your institutions and all the rest of that sort of stuff. But it's not because, you know, even as you talk about that that process, that human to human process, it requires an incredibly well thought through, you have to be incredibly present to it, highly calibrated interaction of both intra and interpersonal uh, dynamics because you can't go very far interpersonally if you can't also go equally intrapersonally within yourself but that doesn't mean that if i look inside me i find the real tim and therefore to go further with tim interpersonally is is no longer important because i could just fill in all the gaps there no i, I need to know me and i and i need to self disclose this is where it gets again exceedingly complex I, myself to self interactions intrapersonally have to get I have to self-reveal to myself. I have to go deeper. I have to understand. I have to be more brave. I have to be more vulnerable with myself. I have to be willing to say things to myself that I've never said before, trust things, risk things, et cetera, et cetera. But that is not the same as an interpersonal until I equally also bring out whatever I'm willing to of that and give it to you. So, hey, Tim, like I looked deeper inside and I found this other Steve, this other part of Steve, the scary part, this anemic, this, this, fearful this uh, prideful this ashamed this whatever here, here, here are these parts of me would you would you carry on walking a journey with me a walk a road let's let's do a friendship together would like can, can, I, can all those little intra processes can they show up in our inter and you might do the same and and that that sustains a much deeper and deeper relationship. And I think that's part of the analogy I would use in, in terms of with God, but that, you know, it sounds very simple on the surface, but we're potentially explaining you know, 80 years worth of like, potentially like really blood, sweat and tears. It takes a lot to go deep internally with oneself, to be really brutally honest, to be present, to not shy away, to not do the avoidance, you know, holding pattern stuff, even internally. And then, you know, equally to deliver that to another person and to hear back from the other person as well. And to have that mutual exchange, because it's, it's very reciprocal, it must be, I think. And there's times of silence, there's times of withdrawing, there's times of pushing in, there's times of frustration, there's all sorts of things there, the nature of relationship.
0: The relational depth that one has with oneself enables relational depth with other persons, be they human or the divine person. One of the big challenges that we have in our society is that we we're often not enabled to have a depth of relationship with ourselves, or with each other, or with others, right? And our spiritualities, and the way we do church, is not about a depth of relating to God, as in person to person. It's one of the reasons why I think in in, in looking at a relational spirituality, we're also looking at at practices and processes that differ to those. Because I don't think that by doing church, we're going to hit the depth of this intimacy. And that's one of the problems that we have is because we live in a society where your relationship with god is tied to your relationship with church so if you're not in church you're not really loving god and and how, how did that phrase go if you leave church because of uh, woundedness and your, your relationship wasn't with god it was with the church but then and then on the flip side is, is going, but if you go back to church, then you're relating to God. No, hang on, you've just shot that phrase in the foot, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and I remember it now. I mean, it's, it's, it's a phrase that you raised earlier um, along mm. those lines, you know, um, because I think that that is largely the problem. And if we, if we do take the, the research seriously by things like OC Africa, where they go, church leaders by and large, their desire for intimacy with God's not being met. Okay, but they are in the churches for others, and by doing church, by doing churches, people who are investing the most time in doing it, if if it's not being met for them, it can't possibly being, be being met for others. So, so to some degree, ch- church and our spirituality does sustain us up until a certain point, and it is really good up until a certain point. And then it hits a point where it goes, This is no longer satisfying. It's it's almost like it pushes us towards something. So so there's a point where, for instance, reading the Bible, you're reading about this God in history, and it's it's really life-giving and it's inspiring. Up at a point that you go, Sure, you know, the way that God spoke to someone there or there, can God speak to me in the same way? And there's a lot of people that I know will go, Yeah, absolutely, of course God can, and God did in the text. So appropriate that text for yourself. And that's different to mm. hearing that same God pitch up and speak to get today. And, and and I think I think in some ways we've we've elevated scripture to such an extent. Now now scripture's only produced because that God drew near you in person to speak and act. And then basically we end up with this text. So we no longer need that God to draw near to speak and act because we've got it already.
1: And and those and that's really I think that's really really key because those are often conflated, it's one and the same. And I think that's part of and, and sometimes I think it's a it's kind of a tacit offering, and sometimes it's very just sort of blunt and in your face. But there is no, but there is there is no reason to distinguish between God as person in the now, who speaks to Steve, as opposed to God as person who spoke to Abraham, who now speaks to Steve through Abraham's story. Those are one and the same thing. Like, stop trying to split hairs, stop trying to make this so difficult. But we're going, but know that there is a difference between if, if God speaks, yes, yes, if God speaks to somebody called Abraham, And says whatever God wants to say. And I somehow attempt to piggyback on that. In the human to human, it is the same thing as if I draw alongside you, Tim, and say, you were having a conversation with that lovely woman over here. What did did she say to you? Well, she said, I'm very handsome. And I go home going, oh, that's lovely. That woman told me I'm handsome. But she didn't. If I'd asked her, she might have. But you know, at that level, I think we can easily see that that like that's bordering on lunacy. You know, that that is the the pathological element that you're trying to put your finger on. I think they're at least part of it. But I think that's what's that's the that's the suggestion is those are one and the same. And I want to separate them and go, no, they're not one and the same. Sure, God might speak to me through Abraham's circumstances as I read. Absolutely. And if that happens then those two can coalesce more easily, but you can't just go, well, what God said to Abraham, God says to you today, go for like, you know, Steve, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, you know, 460 billion grandchildren or whatever it might be. Well, maybe, maybe not. (laughs) I've got
0: a story that, that reflects that. I, I, and I think I've told it before, but I remember one home group session i was running just about 20 years ago uh well, hosting rather than running and there was someone there that was reflecting on how they were struggling and they were quoting david on you know the lord is my shield and you know they're, they're just in so much pain and i remember looking over at her and basically saying evidently not a very good one hmm. and it actually just caught her where it was now i had a real sense of seeing her and a real sense of like god speaking in that moment and, mm-hmm. and, and and so I felt like representative that I'm I'm actually hearing from God, representing God in acknowledging that her claim that God's a good shield and protects her is 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 actually just not true, because that's not what she's experiencing. That not what she's experiencing. Anyway, for her that started a, a journey over over months of 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 her not living vicariously through the faith of David and quoting scripture. But actually starting to experience God for herself and coming to experience God, protect her, restore her, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, hmm. someone else in the home group hears me say that and is like really upset because, you know, Scripture really says that God is a shield. So how can you say to her that God isn't? Really upset. <laughs> tries to like get a whole thing going, like Tim must be reported, how can this guy run home groups, blah blah blah, you know, very upset about mm. it, right? And, and you end up with that contrast, and and the problem is always that these things are contrasted in the sense that because someone in Scripture experienced God in a particular way, therefore it must be true for me, even if I've mm. never seen or heard God today. And and I think it's Scripture serves a different purpose. The fact that Moses had heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob meant that he could go, I've heard of you, but I want to know you. What's your name? And I think in a similar way, scripture stands to us as this as, as a testimony that points to points to this God that speaks in Acts, and it opens up the possibility that you, Steve, meet him today, can hear the same God speak, and we can see this God draw near and we can join in with what God is saying and doing. And, and that's a different relationship to Scripture to one where it goes, no, Steve, no, Tim, you can't expect to experience this because you're not one of those spiritual elites that are enshrined in Scripture. And you are not. Know how do you even know you're experiencing God? You know, like, no one's going to know. The only way, the only people that we did know that experienced God are in this book. <laughs> and, and how do we know because the book says they experienced God? Okay, well, you know, that's just not good enough for me. <laughs> it's not to say...
1: That God can't say to me that God is a shield and God is going to protect me from something.
0: Or, or even not to say that one would find resonance in reading, you know, David's yes. report of that. Or-
1: yes. Yes. It's also not to say that one can't pick up, I'm looking for a more intimate term, but general knowledge about another person. So if 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 I read the letters written between a couple, I'd get a sense of who each of the people were. I might even have some sort of anticipation, which could be realized in engaging with one member of the, the couple, let's say. So let's try to make this less abstract. So yeah, I read a letter between John and Sue. And John has some things to say about Sue. And Sue has some things to say about John. But John also tells Sue some things about John's self in his letters, and Sue the same. And I read those letters, and, and I think I'd love to meet John. John sounds like an interesting guy. And I build a picture of who John is because I've read the letters between John and Sue. And then when I, when I meet up with John, some of that anticipation may be realized because I may experience John to be the same person that John is towards Sue. But John might have told Sue that, that he loves her in a letter and I carry that anticipation and in the first meeting I come away disappointed because John hasn't told me that he loves me. Yeah, Why yeah. hasn't he said that? You said it to Sue, so it's obviously a part of him. Why haven't I experienced that? And I think I'm trying to, not to push the, the kind of the, 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 the story to breaking point here, but I think some of the avoidance stuff is to just go, well, in that case, the letter is the thing which I can most believe, most rely on. So I'm going to come away from that going that John did tell me that John loved me. Because I've heard John say it to Sue. I've, I've read it. I've expressed I've got So John is able to say that, has said that to someone else. I'm going to say John has said it to me. But I think there's some sort of a cognitive dissonance at play there where there's this there's some part of the self goes, It's not true. We didn't actually hear that. I think, I think. And I think that would require some further investigation perhaps. Of That, that, that strikes not. me
0: of the, of the praying the promises kind of thing and appropriating the promises.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's that sort of equation-oriented thing. And, and then, you know, you go and tell Sue, wow, John told me he loved me. And so he goes back to John and John goes and no, I didn't tell Steve. This <laughs> <laughs> is a little bit delusional, or that anticipation may be realised. Perhaps John is exceptionally open. We have a great coffee, and at the end of that, John says, "You know, I really valued this. I, I just, you know, I just want to tell you, I, like I really love you." That's, but in the human to human, it's it's quite easy to to see that, whereas the human to divine it's just a little bit more difficult because we're not just talking about John and Sue, we're potentially talking about the divine John that is interacting with all the ever, all the human Sues that have ever been and ever will be, et cetera, et cetera. And so you can kind of expect that like, it's kind of feels like it's John's job to tell everyone that he loves them. But, but the actual, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, John is love and here I'm just like really butchering this, but you know, and, and so of course, John is going to, say that John loves you but that's John's job like if John is love that like it's expected it has to happen but that's that that I think is a very coercive way of looking at this as opposed to like the actual nuts and bolts of this is that if John doesn't say it it's not experienced between the two
0: and again there it's really the difference between the intra-relational and the inter-relational that one can read about that and then you fill in the blanks. And when you go and you meditate in silence and you and you reflect on scripture and you think about it, you go, yes, God loves me. So I must change my orientation towards God from one where I think that God doesn't like me to one where I believe that God this God loves me. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I'm doing all that work. I'm puzzling through it. I'm doing the mm-hmm. formative work. I'm retraining my brain and my mind and my reactions. That's very different to the experience of God arriving, perhaps not saying anything, but just hugging, you know, where there's, there's that, that the tangible face to face, you know, God arrives and, you know, in a visionary encounter, gives you all the connections in your life as to why you don't feel loved and transforms you. You know, those are two very different kinds of encounters. And I, and, and I often expect, experience bibliophiles as, as rejecting the immediate in relation to that. Hmm. The idea of God and the texts and And faith, quote unquote, is more important than relating to God and engaging God. And And, and, and in relational spirituality, what we what we're actually doing is is, is then looking at going, well, there, there can be that shift. And that shift isn't to a pathological, oh well, 24-7 God whispers in my ear every single decision that I've got to make. No, that's dysfunctional. Like again, that's an intra-relational conversation where someone has projected and said, oh well, if you're talking about relational spiritually, then you must be putting this following pathological thing on the line. And no, that's not the case. We're actually talking about a very different praxis of spirituality, a practice that is actually rooted in engaging God when God draws near and not substituting the voice of God for mystery. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's challen- it's challenging in that sense because I, I we're so f- over familiar with the one. And I think we've got a faith and a religious culture that is that that we're born into and it's it's literally the whole it's this it's the megastructure that our life fits into. You know, so a- anyone that opens this up is the anomaly in this situation. And I think you can always tell the difference between a healthy relational environment or healthy spirituality environment in the difference between people that try to elevate themselves over others as though they hear from God and other people won't be able to, compared to an environment where it's actually an equal opportunity. And it's an equal opportunity in the sense that God has got equal opportunity to speak and act and speak to and act in and through anyone for anyone else's benefit. And so in that in that sense, the individual relational encounter with God is the foundation of the community encounter with God, and the whole community practices that And we understand that God, as the sovereign person who becomes present, speaks to whom he or she delivers to, you know, like intends to, you know, as opposed to it's hierarchical and it's only going to happen to, to someone because they're especially gifted or especially holy that's a very different picture you know in the same way that Adam and Eve heard from God pre-fall and fall and Cain heard from God heard from God very clearly in the midst of that process that's exactly the same thing that we're actually looking at in an environment like this that there's no um, the capacity to hear from God is a province of every person created in the image of God our capacity to grow into the likeness of God, and into the things of, the, of of that God has for for us, is is tied to the relational depth and journey that we can walk with God. So that potential is open to to anyone. But but ostensibly, hearing from God isn't a sign of of any rubber stamping by God or any um uh, how do you put it. Elevation to be some quote unquote prophets and wear special suits and have a title or anything mm. like that. Relational spirituality is a, is a is foundational to everyone, and and I think it's the metric by which we ought to judge our churches and our our home groups and and mm. what we do, as opposed to do we judge it on the projects? Do we judge it on the quality of the coffee? the music, the spoke machine, the quality of the preacher, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, right? It's, <laughs> I think it's a different metric that's also being introduced. So so as much as it's an opportunity to explore something and put it on the table, it also is actually a direct critique on our spirituality and our way of doing
1: church. Well, I mean, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but that strikes me as an, as a as a helpful space to leave our present conversation because I think we've covered a, I think we've covered an extraordinary amount of ground, while at the same time there's still so much to cover. And some of the areas I feel we've drilled a little bit, we've still glossed over. There's there's still so much more to cover, and that's partly what really excites me about this season.
0: This was so neat uh, to sink to my mind before this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem, right? I think like you... You you dig a little into the turf and you turn it over and you just realise wow there's just a lot going on here.